Hello and welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive in the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em. And I'm Autumn. And we're your hosts. What's up? What's up, everybody? What it is. What it is, ho. What's, What's up? up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man. Oh, how's life? It's pretty normal right now. Yeah? Honestly. It's, you know... Summertime, so I'm sure it'll get hectic soon. <laughs> Probably. But it's not our birthdays yet, so oh, usually man. after or like right before my birthday, it usually starts to get hectic. So that's I've got like a month. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Uh, over here, just having a crisis about home about to turn 27 and. Less than a month. It's cool. It's fine. It's cool. I refuse. I'm it's turning cool. 26 again. Yeah, right. <laughs> 26 for life now. Mm-hmm. I was out with Lucas yesterday. Oh my god. So he asked me if I wanted to go see a movie with him up at this theater mm-hmm. in Buffalo. It was on like Hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And the showtime for one wasn't until fucking 9 30. Um, and then we get all the way up there and we go into the theater and go up to the ticket box and he's like, oh, we're taking, you know, two for such and such movie. And the guy at the ticket box goes, he's like, oh, that's showing next weekend. I look at Lucas, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Literally, I'd be like, bro, <laughs> you, you dragged me all the way up here. But then there was um, this little bar in Williamsville that he wanted to go to. So he ended up going there and had a couple of drinks. And I was literally like said to him, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I literally, I'm like having a crisis about turning. Because he asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday. And I was like, I don't know. Not have one. And I'm like, I'm just kind of having a little bit of a crisis. We're going to erase it. I don't want it. Yeah. And he's like, wait, why are you having a crisis? I'm like, because I'm about to turn 27. I'm like, that's officially like my late 20s. He goes, but you're already in your late 20s. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> You're supposed to support me in this. <laughs> you kick me all down. You shut the fuck up. Yeah, the so other day, Duran called me a fucking granny. I said, oh, so now I'm older than you? Now I'm older than you. <laughs> he said, you said it. <laughs> you I fucking said. granny. I would be like, bitch. Yeah, that's so weird. Lucas is like, well, I'm 28. I'm like, I know. God, you're an old man. Fuck. God, you still have your teeth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your teeth aren't rotting out of your head yet from old age, you fucking old <laughs> geriatric son of a bitch. <laughs> Go on, just roast him for no reason. We officially have three more years till 30. Ew. Uh, I'm literally gonna vomit. I'm actually gonna vomit. Like, I don't... Mm. Existential. Existential crisis. Literally. I know 13 going on 30 said 30 are supposed to be the best years of your life, but mm, I don't know about that. I feel like it's all downhill my, from there. 30 can kiss my ass. I feel like it's all downhill from there. Literally. It's already downhill. <laughs> oh my god. My everything cracks. I know. Literally. Like, all my joints are always sore. I'm constantly tired. Literally. Like, like, I always have headaches. sleep. Am I like, okay, I'm well rested and ready for the day? Yeah. That too. Like, I can, whether it's, I'm sleeping four hours, standing up proper like eight or eight, like whatever, ten, I'm always tired. It doesn't matter. Literally. I just have accepted the fact that I'm just always going to be tired. Yeah. That's just a fact of life right now. Any of y'all listening, anybody who's in the same sitch as us right now, sorry. Let us know if you feel us. Anybody <laughs> over. 30 let us know how the rest of your life went. <laughs> please let us know give us some hope tell us there's light at the end of the tunnel right now please. let us know that we're we're just being dramatic yeah please <laughs> like calm the fuck down it's gonna be fine <laughs> oh, that's funny. oh my god well well whatever i mean 
reason to drink. Yeah, right. Oh, man. We oh, gotta God. do something wild for its 30th birthday, so. Oh, I'm gonna be blackout drunk. Dirty 30. Yeah. And there's gonna be dick cakes, dick pops. Dick. Why dicks? That's for like bachelorette party. Because dirty 30. What oh. else is dirty? Well, I guess that's true. I When I just think like dick pops and dick straws, I think like bachelorette party. But I get I it, mean, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Oh my god, I could just. I wanna do a wine tour. I wanna do a death to my 20s party. That would be fun. That'd be fun. And everybody has to wear black. We can do a death to our 20s wine tour. <laughs> I don't even like wine. <laughs> well, being well, wine hungover is even worse. Yeah, that's that's very true. Wine really fucks I you can up do in like a, a wine, way. a good wine slushy. Mm, I do I love only wine like slushy. sweet wines, but then Same. sugar gives you the worst fucking Same. hangover, so it's yeah. just terrible. All I know. It's like you get yourself in this like endless loop where you're like, well, I only like sweet wines, and then sweet wines give you hay. Mm. I've, I have tried. To like dry wines, Me too. but it's I can't, I can't do it. I literally am like eh. seriously. I'm like I even I smell it. I'm like Ugh. my mom's like mm, give me a good dry red, and I'm like please no. put that away for me. Though, She's like you want to sip? No. I did mm-hmm. end up doing that thing where I took the I had like a Pinot Pinot Noir and mm-hmm. I mixed it with. Um, yeah, I remember we did that that one night. Where we weren't able to because you didn't have a court, you didn't have a wine opener. We did that here. Did we do that here? Yeah. Oh shit. Well, wait. No. Are you talking? You mixed it with what? Uh, uh, um, 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 uh, cranberry ginger ale. Oh, oh, oh. No, we didn't. I know we mixed it with something. two wines. We did a sweet and a, like, sunny dry. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I I did the thing where I mixed it with the ginger ale. It was not bad. I was not mad at it. Did you know that there's a raspberry lemonade ginger ale? Oh, she did. It's actually kind of good. Sounds good as fuck. I mean, I like ginger ale, so I'll probably like a raspberry lemonade one. I think you can get it at Walmart. Hmm. Interesting. And at 12 Damn, I'm like, I'm not mistaken. I still have like a whole other bottle of red wine in there that I haven't touched because it's dry red and I need something to mix it with. I have liquor at my house. Legal. But it's not getting. Last weekend. I'm chill out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I told myself I'd not drink it again for a little while. Probably not until our birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. I'm not going to get like. I plan on not going out, out. Like on the weekend until till our birthdays. Yeah. Because I'm gonna go out the weekend in between our birthdays, and then I'm gonna go on the day of my birthday, and then I'm gonna go the weekend after. Damn. Hitting up. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I just need to. My body needs a detox for a little while. All right. <laughs> oh, also, um, so Thursdays the ski lodge is karaoke night. Oh shit. So your birthday's on a Thursday. My birthday's on a Thursday. So if you wanna go, we can. Damn. I don't know if I want to subject myself to karaoke. <laughs> Free drinks though. Oh, shit. We don't have to do karaoke. That's true. It's just karaoke night there, so there's a bunch of people there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Damn. Well, so we could just go in there and tell people it's your birthday and then my birthday and yeah. free check. Shit, we'll have to revisit that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This intro's been long enough. <laughs> I was like, probably get to the fucking point. Literally, they're like, if, just to skip over this a little bit if you're sick yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, that's exactly. If also, you just skip over this. if y'all, y'all like cranberry juice, cran pineapple. Mm, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of cran grape too. Cran grape is what I like. I like cran raspberry. Ooh, that one's good. Hell yeah! I used to drink like every time when I would go to class in college. I would like stop in like this little cafe in one of the buildings, and I would always get myself like a little bagel and then a cran grape juice, and then I would walk my way to class. I was usually hungover. <laughs> Cran, I mean, cranberry juice is, there's a lot of health benefits to it. Granted, this is not pure cranberry juice. Yeah, it's juice, like. 
cranberry juice and sugar and other shit. But but cranberry juice in general has a lot of health benefits, especially for females. Yep. Get it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. So... Why did I pick this case again? What did you tell me last I said week? I wanted to do something really fucking disturbing. Oh, yeah. You want to do something kind of wild, and yeah. this one popped in mind. So, the case. This is part one of two, because, again, I went a little wild <laughs> <laughs> in my notes, but there's also a lot to cover mm-hmm. in this case. There's a lot of, um, a lot of victims, so... Um, I also managed to find, so the case we're covering today is, is that of Dennis Nilsson. Um, he was, he was almost like what I describe him as is like the Scottish English version of Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Yeah. They were, they were both active at the same time. And they look like each other. They do. If you, right now, if you're listening to this, <laughs> pull up a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> and pull up a picture of Dennis Nilsson and look at them side by side. You will be amazed by how similar they look to each other. Um, yeah, very similar MO, very similar victim pool. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was freaky deaky, just like Jeffrey Dahmer was. Um, yeah, freaky deaky. Yeah, he was, it was a little freaky. He was doing some weird shit. But I was, um, I ended up finding a, like, actual, like, written account mm-hmm. from him about, like, his crimes oh, in his early life. Because when he was in prison, he wrote, like, thousands of pages about his life and about his crimes and his victims. And then... Um, eventually somebody ended up, like, editing them and compiling them into a book. Oh. And so I had the book is like, one of my sources. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to, like, talk about is going to be quoted directly from him, like, his words about what he did to these victims pre-death yes. and post-death. Nice. <laughs> so um, I guess trigger warnings in this one for just general murder things also. <laughs> general murder things. <laughs> You know. General murder things, as you usually get with this. I feel this. like we should not have to warn you about that one on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's true. Also, um, discussions of pedophilia and necrophilia are pretty big in this one, too. Ick. So, if that's not, not what you want to listen to right now, you can, you know, click off and we'll not see you in the next one. We'll see you in the one after that, because this is part <laughs> one of two. So. <laughs> not necrophilia. Not the necrophilia. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Gives me the ick. Yeah, oh my god, I... I forgot, like, I was on TikTok maybe when I saw that, like, they're back in the day, even, like, still now, like, um, when, like, female bodies were in the morgue, like, there was a huge issue with, like, male, like, morticians and stuff, like, having sex with the dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Autumn is so disgusted, she's literally getting sick. Um, that is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and it was like, it was like a thing. There yeah. was like, um, I forget what queen it was, but she was, it was like way back in the day. Um, she was executed. She was beheaded, and oh. her ladies in waiting ended up taking her body and carrying it back to like where she was going to be buried because they were afraid of what the men would do. To the queen's body if they were left alone with her. That is fucking disgusting. Isn't it? Absolutely terrible. That is what... Yep. Ew. (laughs) Just ew. Yeah. So that just goes to show that, like, women can't get fucking nothing. (laughs) Men ain't shit. Even when we're, like, dead. That's fucked. Men ain't shit. Men ain't shit. All right. And on that note, we're going to talk about a man who certainly was not shit. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) 
So we're going to start this off by going back to um, February 8th, 1983. And on this day, a plumber arrived at a property in Muswell Hill in North London. Residents in the apartments at 23 Cranley Gardens had been complaining for a while of like blocked drains and like weird smells coming from their drain. So they called a plumber to come pick it out. Pick it out. Check it out. <laughs> to come pick out the body parts. Yeah, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess both of those are come pick out whatever was clogging their drain, but mm-hmm. mostly check it out and see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just about dusk when the plumber, whose name was Michael Katrin, he lifted up, um, which was like, it was kind of like a manhole cover of the drain, mm-hmm. um, and when he looked down into the drain, he spotted what appeared to be a flesh-like substance in bone fragments. One of the tenants who was kind of like, because, you know, shit's going down. They're all probably like peeking over like, what's Mm. going on? Um, One of the tenants came up to him and commented that it looked as though someone had been, quote, flushing their Kentucky fried chicken down the toilet. Fuck up. Yeah. And this tenant was then 37-year-old Dennis Nilsson. It was too dark at this point for the plumber to see anything, like, super clearly. So he ended up, like, talking to his supervisor, and the supervisor's like, yeah, that's weird. Why don't you go back the next morning to really check it out and see what the fuck is in there? Mm-hmm. Um, and unbeknownst to the plumber, the man who he'd just spoken with was the person who was responsible for this blockage in the drain. Because as you guessed, it was not KFC that somebody had been putting down the toilet, but pieces of human remains from the men Dennis brought home to his apartment and brutally murdered. The fact that he was just like, someone's flushing their KFC when he fucking knows that's not what that is. Like, bro. People are so bold. Like, serial killers are so bold. But I mean, that's like a whole thing with their, like, psychology about like wanting to return to the scene of the crime yeah. and all and this also, other stuff they have to try and make it seem like they're not the one who did it exactly you can't make yourself seem guilty they gotta try otherwise, to blend in otherwise you're the first one yeah they exactly. gotta make it, they gotta make it hard for people mm-hmm. yeah it's like i forget what i was listening to another um another podcast and it's done by this guy who he was um, a former detective down mm-hmm. in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So he tells um, stories or like he tells talks about cases that he like actually worked when he was a detective. Mm-hmm. And he was um, the case he was talking about. Um, it was like. I think she was, like, 11 or something, this little girl that had gone missing, and her, like, stepfather had been talking to the media. He's like, please, like, help us find her. Please help us bring her home. And he was also, you know, like, spearheading the searches and everything for her when it turned out that he was the one who raped and killed her. Yep. It's fucking crazy. That's usually how it happens. Yeah. I'm like, y'all are, those kind of people are just sick in the head. That's why they started to, like, like, nowadays, I feel like, the First person to help is usually the first suspect, yeah, I feel. Right. If they're, like, chomping at the bit with mm-hmm. it, they're like, all right, we're going to, we're bringing you in. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to, we're going to need to talk to you <laughs> Why about are you things. so interested? Yeah, exactly. So they're, they've definitely caught on to the fact that, you know, serial killers and murderers get off on, like, revisiting the crime over and over again. And that was definitely Dennis. He definitely got off on... Both literally and figuratively got off on revisiting um, the bodies of his victims. Is he alive still or no? Um, That's a great question. I don't know if he's still alive. Um, Let's see. He... No, he's dead. He died in 2018. Does he have any kids or anything? Um, No, he was gay. He never 
well, married a woman well, or anything. You know how that goes back then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But no, he he never like had a wife. He never settled down. He never had children. Kids. Um, okay, so we're going to get into talking a little bit about who Dennis was, where he came from, what his childhood and what his early life was like. So he was born Dennis Andrew Nilsson on November 23rd, 1945, to his mother, Elizabeth Betty Duthie White, and his father, Olaf Magnus Mockshime, who yes. adopted the surname Nilsson after he fled from German-occupied Norway during World War II. Dennis's father was an alcoholic suffering from PTSD from the war. And by the time Dennis was born, Olav and Betty's marriage was already very troubled and pretty much effectively over. Um, and yet they had another child even after Dennis. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so Dennis was the middle of three children. He had an older brother who was Olav Jr. and a younger sister named Sylvia. In one of his many autobiographical writings, Dennis theorized that by the time his parents divorced in 1948, both his mother and father had been carrying on numerous extramarital affairs. Great. Um, these affairs had been going on for years at that point. Dennis even believed um, that Olaf Nilsson was not actually his biological father at all. Great. Betty's parents never approved of her marriage to Olav, and when they divorced, Betty's parents supported their daughter and grandchildren by letting them move into their home, which they also shared with Betty's sister, Lily. Um, Dennis was described as being a quiet but adventurous child. His grandparents were also very religious, so much of his upbringing was shaped by like those tenets of Christian fundamentalism. Um, particularly his grandparents' lifestyle was one that he considered to be cold and dour, which basically means relentlessly severe or gloomy. So he was not having a very vibrant or fun childhood at all because his grandparents were like religious nutheads. That's <laughs> like, the worst. Very much so. I'm glad my parents weren't super religious. Yeah, I mean, I can't even say that. <laughs> I'm glad my mom put her foot down with that. Um, I'm just glad that I was able to live my life not yeah. by my mother letting me do so but because i wanted to yep exactly exactly and my mom knew she knew Wild <laughs> child. Wild she child. knew she knew um his grandfather also had a belief that all men no matter how pious or moral were sinners like down to their core um Dennis was actually incredibly close to his grandfather, and they oftentimes would take walks together around the countryside, like, for hours. They would just walk around. There was, like, on a dock where they were, like, fishing. But his grandfather was a fisherman, so they lived very close to these docks, and they would basically just go and walk and, you know, do whatever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis later described <clears throat> this stage of his childhood as one of contentment and his grandfather being his, quote, great hero and protector adding that whenever his grandfather, who was a fisherman, was at sea, quote, life would be empty for me until he returned. So, um, Dennis loved his grandfather. Um, of course he did. Despite the fact that, um, according to Dennis, who wrote this in his memoirs, um, his grandfather often and severely sexually molested him. Aww. He said that between painful bouts of sexual abuse, his grandfather would spoil him with ice cream, candy, and toys. Of course. And Dennis described his relationship with his grandfather as, quote, his was the earliest embrace I could remember, and it seemed correct, necessary, and irreversible. He may have been a pedophile, but I didn't remember him as threatening or oppressive. That is threatening. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the definition of threatening. What the fuck? <laughs> 
Sure, he molested and raped me, but, like... Yeah, he wasn't threatening. At least he didn't threaten to kill me after if I told anybody. <laughs> At least he bought me things. Yeah. I mean, Dennis was... I think Dennis was only, like, five years old when him his parents divorced, so, like, very... From a very, like, early point in his life. He was just fucked. Yeah. It, like, his grandfather caught him, like... we. T- I feel like... I forget what we talked about this, this last time. This is also song. incest. Yeah, that's very true. Nasty. Yup. Didn't think we'd be doing two cases in a row with, you know, a little sprinkling of incest in there. But, but this one with your here grandchild. We here we are. Ick. Yeah. Um, by 1951, Dennis's grandfather's health was in decline. Um, he Bye. continued... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, motherfucker. Literally. Um, and even though his health was in decline, he did continue to work. And it was on October 31st, 1951, while he was fishing in the North Sea, that he died of a heart attack at the age of 62. Good fucking riddance. <laughs> Good fucking riddance. This was Dennis's first experience with death. And what Dennis later described as his most vivid... In, in what Dennis later described as his most vivid childhood memory... Um, he remembers like his mom and it was at the grandfather's funeral his mom just weeping sobbing and asking him whether he wanted to go and see his grandfather and when dennis replied that he did he was taken into the room where his grandfather was in the open coffin and as he like looked at his grandfather's body his mother told him that his grandfather was just sleeping adding that he had gone to a better place And Dennis also recalled that seeing his grandfather's body in the coffin brought him a great deal of excitement. And this is when his ideas of love and death began to kind of fuse together and get very, very confusing for him. (laughs) I was like waiting for you to say something, but you just a long suffering sigh. Ew. Ew. That's all I have to say is ew. Ew. Yeah, and I remember reading in the memoirs, too, he was, like, when his mom said that his grandfather was gone to a better place, Dennis was, like, in his young mind, he's, like, well, if you went to a better place, like, why didn't he take me with him? Like, I I don't understand why I'm now, like, left here, and he went to this better place. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) And, yeah, it just, like, goes to show how fucked up, like, well, Dennis... Well, Dennis, you see here, he didn't really go to a better place. He went straight to hell. <laughs> yeah, he's um burning in hell for being a pedophile. <laughs> and incest. So, I mean, honestly, hey, Dennis is probably in hell now, too. So him mm. and his grandfather done got reunited. It was all he wanted <laughs> at the end of the day. At the end of the day, ew. <laughs> That's, I just, uh, just I, ew. At the end of the day, all I can say is ew. I just can't even, like... it's just it's it's stressful it's stressful this is is why we need to record these because y'all can't see the hand gestures (laughs) to really convey what we're trying to convey here literally um but yeah so after um his grandfather's death dennis became very withdrawn he often would spend long hours down at the harbor watching herring boats. Um, those are the kind of boats that his grandfather worked on, imagining that his grandfather would just get off one of the boats and, you know, come walk up to him and, you know, meet him down at the harbor oh, again. Oh, gross it. That's not how that works. That's not how it works. People aren't just fucking... Back from the dead. Back from the dead. Surprise! I was just kidding. I'm alive. Surprise, motherfucker. 
<laughs> At home, he rarely participated in family activities, and he retreated from any attempts by adult family members to demonstrate any affection towards him. He also grew to resent what he saw as the unfair amount of attention his mother, grandmother, and later his stepfather displayed towards his older brother, Olav, and younger sister, Sylvia. As he got older, uh, Dennis started coming to the realization that he was attracted to other boys. Okay. He even recalled, quote, um, so this was um, actually a quote that he said about his own brother when okay. they were, like, sharing a bed together because the house they were living in, they were sharing it with, like, their grandparent or their grandmother now, um, their aunt and his wife and their kids. So a lot of the times, like, Dennis was sharing a bed with his older brother. And this is a quote he said about, like, one of the nights that he was... This is going to be fucking um, disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) So he recalled, quote, As we shared a bed, I imagined his body being in close proximity to mine as attached to another boy created in my imagination, and I was drawn to feel his soft skin as he slept half remembering the intensity of being regularly felt and fondled by my grandfather. <laughs> Your face. So This is just like, imagine being the older brother, too. Yeah. To, like, come to find out your little brother is looking He's at like you. He's, like, perving on you like that. Yeah. Like, and imagining you're, like, another boy and thinking mm-hmm. about, like, how it felt to be molested by his grandfather and wanting to touch you like that. Ugh. I'd be like, um, never fucking look at me again. Don't even breathe in my direction. You I will literally fuck off. stab you in the throat. Don't look at me. Don't even look at me. See this knife right here? It's gonna be it's used. Gonna be, it's gonna be used on you. Mm-hmm. In your throat. So, <laughs> back the fuck off. Ew. Ew. <laughs> um, so, Betty did eventually move herself and her kids out of the grandparents' house in 1954. She oh, moved now them that into- the what? Now that the perv is dead? Yeah, now the perv is... Right, you couldn't get your kids out before your father was molesting your son? Okay. Good job, Betty. Good job. You fucked up. Honestly, though, she probably... I don't think... I was also watching um, a Netflix documentary that they did on Dennis Nilsson, mm. and they have, like, uh, recounts from, like, um, back when he was first arrested, like, from his family members, mm. and... Nobody, unless, I mean, maybe they did know and they just didn't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but, like, none of the people they interviewed who knew him or were, like, you know, his family members or, like, his few friends ever, like, nobody said anything about him having been molested by the grandfather when he was younger. So whether that's true or maybe Dennis is just talking out his asshole trying to explain reasons for why he did what he did mm-hmm. or they knew it was happening and they just refused, to believe, refused to believe it exactly so whether or not his mom actually knew he was being molested is you know up for debate i suppose but and yeah 1954 they moved into a two-bedroom tenement home in fraserburg scotland dennis and his brother joined the scottish equivalent of the boy scouts called the life boys Sounds like, like a like a 90s boy band. Literally, Literally the life, life boys. boys. <laughs> and Dennis managed to make friends with a group of local boys. Next to the estate where the tenement house was located was a farm, and one of the local farmhands would often let the neighborhood boys come along with him on errands around the farm. Um, Dennis expressed that he loved animals, though this didn't stop him from hanging a cat and strangling it to death on the farm in 1955. Yep. I mean, he's ten, he's 10 years old when Serial he does killer. this. Yep, that's one of the first signs. Absolutely. Cruelty to animals. Yep. I forget what there's a name for it. It's called, like, the it's something triad. triad. And it's, like, bedwetting, uh, cruelty to animals, and arson. Yep. Or, like, the big three. Yeah. So if your kid's wetting the bed, if he's, you know, 
fucking with animals and setting shit on fire, you probably got a serial killer on your hands. Check him in. So check him in. Yeah, put them into put them into the psych ward. Catch that shit. You know. Before it escalates, like I mean, granted, Denny Boy did here. There's usually like nothing that you could do. Yeah, yeah, you but, could like. I mean, if your kid's gonna be a serial killer, uh, it's like, like you have to just wait until it happens. That's wild. Like I kind of get it for like you know situations where maybe like the parents are abusive and like mm-hmm. they just don't want thinking they're gonna say all this shit to like, get their kid like locked mm-hmm. away. But it also sucks when there's, like, actual situations where the mm-hmm. parent's, like, I legitimately feel that my child is going to harm me, mm-hmm. himself, siblings, or others. I mean, as a kid, like, you can commit them to a psych ward, but they have to deem it severe enough for them to For them to that. stay, yeah. And then and so, also they get out when they're 18, no matter what. Exactly. And then, Unless like, what are you going to do now? Unless dangerous. Yeah. That's crazy. There's got to be a better way to, like, prevent this shit from happening. Um, Dennis did recall that killing the cat made him feel intensely guilty, but the desire he had to see the reality and process of killing and death outweighed any reluctance he might have had when it came to harming an animal. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, I felt a little bit guilty, but, like, I really just wanted to kill something. Like, bro, shut the fuck uh-huh. up. Maybe, like, not do that? Maybe also don't. Also how little Dahmer got with his dad picking up the dead Oh, my rodents. God, yeah, thinking, I, like... Ew feels so bad for his dad because he literally thought that he was just like nurturing bonding. a hobby and like yeah. bonding with his son oh my God. son's like hmm, i like murder now i like mur- i like murder now pretty much <laughs> betty ended up remarrying in 1955 she married a man named adam scott who dennis initially resented for being too strict though he would eventually grow to at least have some like begrudging respect for him <laughs> While in school, Dennis developed an intense crush on one of his male classmates, describing the feelings he had for him as, quote, a new feeling of vibrant and all-consuming intense love. However, he was also aware that even the smallest signs of homosexuality would result in him being shunned from his friends and family or possibly something worse, so Dennis kept his sexuality a secret. Because many of the boys to whom he was attracted had, like, he... In his writings, he refers to, like, the boys and the men that he's attracted to as being very pretty. Like, it's always pretty, pretty, pretty. It's never, like, handsome. He, like, mm-hmm. finds them to be um, almost, like, feminine mm-hmm. in nature. Um, and he kind of noticed that a lot of the boys that, when he was younger, that he was attracted to had sim- are, like, features similar to his younger sister. Mm-hmm. So, on one occasion, he sexually molested her. Believing that his attraction towards boys might be a manifestation of the care he felt for her. Your face. It's like the his the weird incestual pedophilia nasty. Yeah, these are your siblings. Well, look at what his main influence in his life for like a few years was, was his grandfather, who he loved. He idolized his grandfather, mm-hmm. and his grandfather was molesting him. So his perception of, oh my gosh, I love my sister so much, like, maybe... I have to touch on her in order to show her that I love exactly. her. Exactly. Like, this is how I manifest the Gross. care that I have for her. Gross. Um, on one occasion, Dennis also molested his brother Olav while he slept. Oh, great. Which eventually led to his brother believing Dennis to be gay. Olav would often degrade Dennis in public after this, calling Dennis a hen, which was a slang word for a girl. Oh, great. 
As Dennis got older, into his early teens, he found love... He found what? Oh my god. Hold on. I don't know even know what I wrote on this. That... Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck did Emily I Emily is corn-fused right <laughs> I know, now. I am. I am confused. Um, but basically, as he got older and into his um, early teens, he found, like, being around his family to be stifling. He did not like being around his family. Well. Um, Betty and Adam had actually had four other children, mm-hmm. making it seven children total who were living in this oh house. God. And Dennis was often neglected by his mother for being a bastard child born out of wedlock. So she basically was like, yeah, you're not my husband's son. Like, I just had an affair and you were the result of it. And she like, well, which this is also so fucked up. Like, you That's, had you the affair. That. Exactly. You had the affair and now you're going to resent your child a product of the affair that you chose to have. Literally. Like, it bitch, makes no fucking sense. Bitch, get it together. Seriously. Betty, get it the fuck together. Fucking Betty. Um, this, his family was also very poor and Dennis resented his mother and stepfather for doing nothing to improve their financial standing. He basically perceived that they were just content being poor and didn't want to do anything to, you know, mm-hmm. not be poor anymore. Mm-hmm. Due to this alienation Dennis felt towards his family, he made the choice to join the Army Cadet Force of the British Navy in 1961 when he was just 15 years old. Wow. Dennis passed the exams to enter the Army, and he ended up becoming, or starting training to become an Army chef. Hmm. Interesting. Cooking up the military men. Yeah. (laughs) Cooking (laughs) up the military men. Um, Within weeks, uh, Dennis began to excel in his Army duties. He later described his three years of training at, um... An academy called Aldershot is the happiest in his life. He loved being there. Probably because he was just around other dudes all the time. Oh, <laughs> While stationed at Aldershot, Dennis's latent feelings began to stir again, but he kept his sexual orientation well hidden from his colleagues. Um, one of the things he made sure to never do, he never showered with other men because he was always scared that he would, like, get a boner. So it's like, I can't shower on men. Uh, my dick is going to get hard and they're going to clock me. So he, what he would nice. do is, like, wait until everybody had showered and then, like, go into the mm-hmm. shower alone. So, A, he could shower by himself, and B, he could also, like, jerk off thinking about, like, all his other male colleagues. That's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be a trend with him, is that's fucking weird. That's strange. Weird and gross, and mm, please don't. Literally, please. Please yeah. refrain from doing that thing that you're doing right now. Literally, you're stressing me out. You're stressing me out a whole lot. One night, while based in Germany, he got drunk with a young German man, and they passed out on the floor together. Although nothing sexual had happened, Dennis was thrilled by waking up next to an unconscious man, and this is really what started triggering those dark urges inside him. Later on, he would, like, after this happened, he he was so fucking weird, man. Like, so what really thrilled him was, like, not necessarily waking up next to a man. It was waking up next to an unconscious man that if he, like, thought hard enough, he could, like, perceive as dead, pretty much. His, like, I'm not going to get too much into this psychology right now, but his whole thing was, like, he wanted a man or a boy that was completely, like, wouldn't fight him off. Mm -hmm. He could do anything he wanted to them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, like, why the thrill of having these, why he kept bodies for as long as he did after he killed people was because, like, 
he was thrilled by the idea that he could now spend time with this body for as long as he could and the person wasn't going to be able to fight him off. So what he did later on after this was he ended up, like, covering himself in, like, talcum powder, which is, like, baby powder. Mm -hmm. And he would, like, lay down on his bed in front of a mirror Mm -hmm. and he covers himself in powder to, like, you know, make himself, like, gray, like he's dead because, you know, dead bodies kind of get, like, the chalky, like a Mm -hmm. chalky film over their their skin. Mm -hmm. And he would lay on his bed, look at himself in the mirror, just lay, like, totally prone except for the fact that he was, like, jerking off while he was doing this. And he was imagining his own body to be a corpse. What does the fuck... <laughs> Weird. Like what the actual hell? Right? Like he's very like I wanna say he's very strange. That doesn't even cut it. <laughs> strange does not encompass how fucking weird this man was. I just can't imagine like like who <laughs> <laughs> um, the fuck? Covers them, their whole body in baby powder, talcum powder, whatever. Dennis does. To imagine themselves dead. Dennis And did. then touch themselves. Yeah. What the fuck? Right. He would literally, like, imagine that he was, like, the dead body and that, like, his hand was, like, his own hand and he was, like, touching you the really dead body. You really got fucked up for this. <laughs> you wanted a weird one. You like, gotta be fucked up Crazy for one. And I told you, I'm like, I got one for you. During his <laughs> during his time in the army, Dennis had many postings, so he was kind of all over Europe, all over the place, and eventually he returned to the UK in the early 70s. He lived with his family again between October and December of 1972, though they had a major falling out when Dennis joined his brother Olav, his sister-in-law, and another couple to watch a documentary about gay men. His brother, sister-in-law, and the other couple viewed the documentary with extreme disgust, and a fight ensued when Dennis, like, stood up and basically defended, like, gay rights, pretty much, Mm -hmm. because he is a gay man. In reaction to this, Olaf Jr. told their mother that Dennis was gay, and after this, Dennis never spoke to his older brother again and maintained only sporadic written contact with his mother, stepfather, and younger siblings. He decided to join the Metropolitan Police and moved to London that same December to begin the training course. Terrible idea. Dennis completed his training in 1973, and he was posted um, to Willesden Green, which I think is somewhere in London. As a cadet, Dennis started to miss the closeness and camaraderie he had with his fellow soldiers in the Army. He began to drink alone in the evenings, and during the summer and autumn of 1973, Dennis began frequenting gay pubs and often engaging in casual sex with men. He viewed these encounters as, quote, soul-destroying liaisons, in which he would only lend his partner his body in what he called a vain search for inner peace as he sought a long-lasting relationship. Um, Willenstein, Willenstein, whatever? Willisden Green. It's W-I-L-L-E-S-D-E-N. Williston Green. Is it in London? Was I right? I didn't really look Northwest London. Northwest London. Okay, so I was right. London. But yeah, he <laughs> sold it. Like, he was dramatic as fuck. He's like, these were soul-destroying liaisons. Like, you're just having one-night stands, dude. Like, calm Girl, down. Chill. You're being a little dramatic. It's a little, little dramatic for my liking. Yeah, I'm, it's giving drama it's giving am am i the drama am i the drama (laughs) yes dennis you're the fucking drama literally 
Dennis ended up resigning from the police in December of 1973 after his father died, leaving Dennis with an inheritance of 1,000 pounds, which at the time would be about 9,972 pounds today. After retiring from the police, Dennis worked odd jobs, such as a security guard and a civil servant helping to find jobs for the unemployed. In 1979, Dennis was appointed acting executive officer. He was officially promoted um, to this position with additional supervisor responsibilities in June of 1982 and transferred to another job center in Kentish Town. And he was in this job until he was arrested. So he basically just worked like at like kind of like a like an unemployment office where people who didn't have jobs would come in and he would like help them find jobs. Hmm. And these are awfully helpful jobs that he keeps getting. Yeah, right. Like, he was, a, he was in the army, he was a police officer, he was a security guard, and then he was doing this until he was arrested. Dennis continued his efforts, say efforts with air quotes, to try to find meaningful relationships, having multiple flings with men, one of which being 20-year-old David Galachan, who Dennis ended up purchasing an apartment with, the address being 195 Melrose Avenue. After about a year, Dennis and David's relationship started to fizzle out, David later insisted Dennis had never been violent towards him, but that he did engage in verbal abuse, and the pair had begun arguing with increasing frequency by early 1976. In 1977, after an argument, David ended up moving out of the apartment, leaving Dennis alone once again. By late 1978, Dennis was living a solitary existence, and he had experienced at least three failed relationships in the previous 18 months. So he was, again, Damn. getting very desperate to find some sort of human connection. Three relationships in a yeah. year and a half. He Damn. was going through people like crazy. He could, not, he could not keep anybody. Which Damn, was a huge, again, reasoning why he said that he murdered people was because he was scared that they were going to leave him. So he wanted to make it so they could never leave him. But they still left you. Because they're dead, yeah. Weird psychology, but who knows? This man's brain was a bag of cats, man. It was a wild. Don't even get that. It's a bag of fucking rocks. <laughs> it's a bag of rocks. Um, so now we're getting into when the murders begin. By the time Dennis met the boy who had become his very first victim, he'd been spending months alone, drinking and wallowing in his loneliness. Dennis himself described this time as the most alone he'd ever felt in his life. On the night of December 30th, 1978, Dennis went out to a pub looking for some company, and this is where he met 14-year-old Stephen Holmes. Dennis recalled that he and Stephen were both very drunk when Dennis invited Stephen back to his apartment on Melrose Avenue. Dennis and Stephen ended up spending the night together. In the morning, when Dennis woke up to see Stephen sleeping next to him, he was overcome with an intense desire to make sure Stephen would never leave him. Dennis recalled in his memoirs, quote, My mind was seized with the panic that he would soon wake up and suddenly depart, after which I'd be plunged back into the despairing loneliness of a bleak, cold life. I was becoming desperate with the total futility of my life and wanted him to stay with me. So this was his first murder. This was his first murder, yep. So, while Stephen slept, Dennis pulled the blankets away from his naked body and grabbed a necktie off the floor. Dennis then got on top of Stephen, wrapped the tie around his neck, and strangled him. Strangled. Strangled. Stephen tried to fight back, but was ultimately unable to overpower Dennis. And when Stephen passed out, Dennis actually panicked and let him go. He noticed that Stephen was still breathing. (laughs) 
And in fear of what Steven would do if he woke up, Dennis decided to drown Steven to finish the job. So he went to his kitchen, he filled a bucket with water, and he brought it into the bedroom. He sat in a nearby chair, pulled Steven's limp body onto his lap, and lowered his head into the bucket, holding him under the water until he stopped seeing air bubbles. Oh my god. Yeah. Wild. Jesus. Brutal. About this first murder, Dennis recalled, quote, that single act was the most intensely concentrated moment of my whole life, and the power and focus of it propelled me far beyond myself. Basically, he was like, it was so intense, I, like, had an out-of-body experience. It was crazy. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dennis then took Stephen's body into the bathroom where he bathed and examined it thoroughly. Like, his, he really liked just basically, like, touching all over his victim's bodies. Like, <laughs> he says, like, he later refers to this as, like, a ritual that he has where he will murder them take them into the bath, wash them, touch them all over as much as he can before, you know, taking them out of the bath and then doing whatever else he wanted to do with them. Um, After washing Stephen's body, he then brought it back into his bedroom where he continued to caress it and masturbate over it. When rigor mortis began to set in, Dennis debated how to get rid of the body. He actually went out and purchased a large saucepan and an electric carving knife, but ultimately did not end up dismembering Stephen's body. Instead, he hid it under the floorboards in his apartment. Great. The cold weather actually slowed the decomposition of Stephen's body, and a week after hiding him under the floorboards, Dennis dug him up again. And he recalls, quote, there was a little dirt on his skin, and I bathed him again and dressed him in underwear. He showed no signs of decay apart from a slight pink hue on his face and light blue lips that widely contrasted with the pale, smooth skin of his body. I articulated his limbs and examined him, feeling the sensations of being handled as him, as well as experiencing the sensations of the handler. I then again played out the ritual on his body in its various but familiar forms, which don't bear repetition. So he basically jerked off with the body again. <laughs> that was his ritual. Dig him up, jerk off, put him back. That's fucking disgusting. Yeah, was, he was really, really fucking depraved. Really depraved. And one of the things he says that, you know, he refers to a lot is he sees himself in these bodies a lot, in his victims. And so he's always constantly imagining, like, not only is he the person who's touching the bodies, but he's also the body being touched and he perceives himself a lot in the victims that he's killing and, and you know, enacting this quote-unquote ritual mm-hmm. with. When the weather got warmer, Dennis eventually dug Stephen up again, and this is when he proceeded to dismember the corpse, put the body parts into plastic bags, and then burn them in a bonfire in his backyard. Great. Great. <clears throat> A couple months after disposing of Stephen's body, Dennis again got the urge to seek out another victim. On October 11th, 1979, Dennis attempted to murder a student from Hong Kong named Andrew Ho, who he had met in a pub and lured back to his apartment on the promise of sex. As they began to get intimate, Dennis recalled that he wanted to strangle Andrew into unconsciousness and to cover the offense, finish his unconscious body off afterwards. Andrew, however, fought back and was able to get Dennis off him, escaping the apartment by jumping down from a six-foot-high platform. 
Andrew did report this incident to police and Dennis was questioned, but ultimately nothing came of it because Andrew chose not to press charges. What the fuck? Honestly, it was probably not so much that he chose not to press charges. It was the fact that this was like a gay encounter and the police Mm -hmm. were not very kind to gay men and they were probably not going to do much of it. exactly they probably didn't give a fuck anyways so whether he wanted he probably wanted to press charges but ultimately was like well i don't want to subject myself to this kind of scrutiny and i know what happens you know i know what police do and what like the public shuns gay men so he's probably like you know what i lived i'm alive i'm just gonna stay the fuck away from this dude for the rest of my life literally After the encounter with Andrew, Dennis was able to use the memories to keep his urges at bay for a time until December 3rd, 1979. On this afternoon, Dennis met met a 23-year-old Canadian student named Kenneth Ockenden, who had been on a tour of England visiting relatives. Ockenden. I know, that's a fun last name to say. Ockenden. Ockenden. He and Kenneth walked around London sightseeing before Dennis invited him back to his apartment for a meal and drinks. I wonder if they can hear Carter purring. Probably. He purrs very loud. Let us know if you can hear the cat ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dennis and Kenneth Kenneth stopped at a liquor store on their way back to Melrose Avenue. And shortly after arriving at the apartment, Kenneth Ockenden became Dennis's second victim. Dennis was adamant he could not recall the precise moment he strangled Kenneth, but he recalled that he strangled Kenneth with the cord of his headphones as Kenneth listened to music. Damn, strong-ass cord to his headphones. I know, right? You would think that they would snap and break. Well, maybe they were, like, they were probably more heavy-duty. We're thinking of, like, earbud cords, which are very thin and very slim, but these are probably, like, big headphones with a pretty heavy-duty cord. Um, after Kenneth was dead, Dennis carried out his ritual with the body. Of course he did. He washed Kenneth's body in the bath. Um, he would sometimes get in the bath with the body. Yeah. He said he was, he'd be, like, so overcome by, like, touching all over the body while he bathed that he just, like, had to get in the tub with it. Yeah. Um, it is unknown, though, if he got into the bath with Kenneth. He shaved off all of Kenneth's body hair, so, like, legs, God. arms, pits, pubes, everything. He Jesus. shaved him totally bare. Um, he covered the body with talcum powder and then laid it out on his bed where he would, quote, closely inspect every contour and every square inch of the smooth skin. He laid Kenneth's cord spread-eagled above him on his bed as he watched television for several hours before wrapping the body in plastic bags and hiding the corpse beneath the floorboards. Right. On approximately four occasions over the following fortnight, which is two weeks for y'all who don't know what a fortnight is. I did not, so. Um, Dennis. Learning experience Yeah, a fortnight is two weeks, the more you know. So over um, two weeks on four different occasions, Dennis would um, dig up Kenneth's body from beneath the floorboards and seated in an armchair alongside him as he watched television and drank alcohol. He used a corpse. I know, right? He's literally partying with a corpse. He used uh, the talcum powder to cover um, any discoloration on the bodies as they began to decompose and frequently masturbated over the corpses every time he brought them out. He also purchased a Polaroid camera and used it to take photos of Kenneth's body in various different positions. Dennis's next victim came in the form of 16-year-old Martin Duffy on May 17, 1980. Duffy had been somewhat on the run from the police when he encountered Dennis, and he'd been sleeping on the streets for the past three days, so he easily accepted Dennis's offer to stay over for a night at his apartment. After Martin had fallen asleep in Dennis's bed, Dennis wrapped a ligature around his neck and strangled him until he was unconscious. So this is the thing. 
Yeah. Oh, this is, he strangles all of his victims. Right. I don't think there, there may be one that he killed without strangulation, but like that was his thing. Um, once Martin, or he strangled him until he was unconscious, and then he dragged Martin into this, into his kitchen and drowned him in the kitchen sink. What the fuck? Once Martin was dead, Dennis again proceeded with his ritual, stripping Martin's body naked and masturbating over it. Dennis kept Martin's body in a cupboard for two days before he also shoved it under the floorboards when it began, like a, probably like a, like a, like a pantry kind of almost. Like a kitchen cupboard. Yeah, pretty much. Um, So he kept it in the cupboard for two days before he also put it under the floorboards when it began to show signs of decomposition and bloat. Oh my gosh. He's so cuddly. What I is know. Not? Cat paws. Pause for the. <laughs> Blue just wants to chew on me. Oh, Carter is a big old baby. He just wants attention and to be loved. Like, genuinely, he is the most snuggly cat I have ever met in my life. Oh. He is just a baby. He's just a baby. <laughs> There's your uh, your dose of Carter ASMR for listening. <laughs> um, so after murdering Martin, Dennis began killing with pretty heavily increasing frequency. The next victim, or the next person he targeted, so what are we at right now? Three, um, four, three, 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 because one got away. Yeah. So three murdered four. Three murdered, one attempted. Yes. So the next target for Dennis was um, a man named Douglas Stewart, and this happened in August of 1980. Dennis met Douglas in the Golden Lion Pub in central London. Douglas accepted Dennis's invite to come back to his apartment, but turned down Dennis's offers of drinks and refused to get into bed with him, instead <laughs> saying he would sleep in the armchair that Dennis had in his room. Dennis started to fear that Douglas had come home with him with the intention of robbing or gay bashing him. Mm. Which isn't that wild. He's gonna fucking murder him. Literally. But he's worried, worried that, that, oh my god, this guy I brought home to murder, what if he like tries to rob me or like beat my ass? Like, dude, you're, wor- you're, you're gonna people. murder him. <laughs> you're, mm. You've murdered three other people at this point, really? tried to murder one before, and you're talking about how you're scared that he's gonna try to, like, rob you or beat you up? Bro. Literally. Bro. Get it fucking together. Shut the fuck up. Get it together, bitch. Get it together. So Douglas ended up falling asleep in the armchair, and Dennis attempted to strangle him with his own necktie that he was, like, still wearing. Oh, God. Douglas woke up and fought back, Mm -hmm. managing to overpower Dennis, during which Dennis pleaded with Douglas to just take his money and go. Douglas was like, the fuck? Um, And he told Dennis that he didn't want his money, and he let Dennis up, after which Dennis ran to the kitchen to grab a knife, but soon realized that Douglas didn't actually pose any threat to him, so he decided to put the knife back. Dennis and Douglas ended up talking for a few hours before Douglas left Dennis's apartment, and a few hours after that, Douglas returned with the police in tow. So he let him... I'm so confused. You tried to murder him. He beat you up. When he beat you up, you grabbed a knife, but you're like, meh, let's talk it out. Yeah, And then you're much. like, meh, I'm not going to kill you. But yeah. you can leave after I just tried to murder exactly. you. Like, his thought process of some of this shit was, like, off the wall. Like, I don't know what was going through his head. Clearly, the man's has got some fucking issues. Mm-hmm. 
So when the police came, Dennis was questioned, but he was able to convince the police that both he and Douglas had been drunk, and the police brushed the incident off as just being a, quote, homosexual quarrel. What the fuck? And told Douglas that if he wanted to file an official report, he would have to come back to the police station after he had sobered up a bit. Douglas never ended up going through with reporting or pressing any charges against Dennis. Of course. Again, probably for, you know, the same reasons that Andrew Ho did not Mm. press any charges. Before the end of 1980, Dennis killed a further five victims. Only one of these victims who Dennis murdered, 26-year-old William Sutherland, has ever been identified. Damn. Dennis had also taken another unnamed boy to his apartment, but instead of killing him, Dennis chose only to rape him after he had passed out in Dennis's bed. In his memoirs, Dennis recalled that there had been many other men and boys that he'd strangled into unconsciousness but chose not to kill, instead subjecting them to rape that he could play off in the morning as having been kinky but still consensual sex. Whether it was due to shame or societal taboos around homosexuality, these rapes were never reported. Dennis's recollections of the unidentified victims were vague, but he um, graphically recalled how each victim had been murdered and just how long he had kept the bodies before dissection. Dennis had performed what he called a mass dissection in the summer of 1981, pulling up the multiple bodies he had buried under the floorboards. He removed the internal organs from the bodies and disposed of them between the boards of the fence in his garden, then wrapped up the larger pieces and again put them under the floorboards. Fucking terrible. Literally horrifying. Dennis recalled, <laughs> Dennis recalled that he did consider cannibalism when he oh. first began dissecting the bodies of his first victims, but ultimately decided that cannibalism wasn't really what he was interested in, and the thought of eating his victims did not give him any sexual satisfaction like he got when he was killing them. Sir. He took the bag full of organs he had, and while taking his dog on a walk, he disposed of the bag in Gladstone Park, where it was later discovered by a college student named Robert Wilson. Cute. The bag was taken to Willesden Police Station, where the um, it was inspected, and they basically figured it was just, like, butchered animal entrails, and so it was just destroyed. They just fucking, like, threw it in a fire or some shit. And, and Dennis, like, I know, Dennis, like, writes on his memoir, he's like, if only they'd given it a little extra examination. But yeah, it was basically, they're like, oh yeah, that's, like, animal entrails, and just probably threw it in an incinerator somewhere. In late 1980, Dennis again removed the dismembered bodies from under the floorboards and burned the remains in a bonfire. Oh, sorry, late 1981, not 1980. Um, so he pulls the pieces he dismembered up from the floorboards, and again, he burns them in a bonfire in his backyard. Of course he does. After the bonfire burned out, Dennis combed through it with a rake and smashed any remaining identifiable bones. He also recalls, too, that when he was having this bonfire, like, a couple of neighborhood kids, like, came around and were, like, kind of, like, hanging out by his bonfire and meanwhile he's burning bodies seemed also to disguise the smell of like burning human remains he would he would burn a tire on top of it too so the burning rubber smell would completely Mm -hmm. overtake like the burning flesh smell christ dennis recalled that had he had the means he would have liked to preserve and keep some parts of his victims namely their hands or their penises Oh, yeah. He was a freaky fucking deaky, man. 
Um, on or about January 4th, 1981, Dennis encountered an unidentified man who he, descri- who he described for investigators as a, quote, 18-year-old blue-eyed young Scott at the Golden Lion Pub in Soho. He was lured to Melrose Avenue upon the promise of partaking in a drinking contest. After Dennis and this victim had consumed several beverages, Dennis strangled him with a tie and subsequently placed the body beneath the floorboards. Mm-hmm. On January 12th, Dennis informed his employers that he was sick and unable to attend work so he could dissect both this victim and another unidentified victim he had killed approximately one month earlier. Disgusting. By April, Dennis had killed two further unidentified victims, one of whom he described as an English skinhead who he had met in Leicester Square. Um, the other he just it's a somebody with a shaved head. I know. I was just saying, not a skinhead. <laughs> not head. a skinhead. <laughs> um, the other he described as a Belfast boy, which I'm assuming is just somebody from Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, a man in his early twenties, approximately five foot nine in height, who he had murdered sometime in February. The following month, Dennis removed the internal organs of several victims stowed beneath his floorboards. He discarded the innards both upon the waste ground behind his apartment and in his own household garbage. Great. The final victim to be murdered at 195 Melrose was 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow, who Dennis had discovered slumped on the ground outside of his apartment on the night of September 17, 1981. Malcolm told Dennis that he was on medication for epilepsy that made his legs go randomly weak, and Dennis ended up helping Malcolm into his apartment and calling an ambulance for him. Uh, Malcolm went to the hospital, and when he was released from the hospital the next day, he returned to Dennis's apartment to thank him for helping him. What the fuck? Dennis invited Malcolm in for a meal and some drinks, <coughs> and after they had each had a few rum and cokes, Dennis strangled Malcolm to death as he slept on Dennis's couch and then stowed Malcolm's body under his kitchen sink to be disposed of later. Bro. Like, this guy just comes to your apartment. Like, that's so sad. He comes Ew. to, like, to thank him for, like, helping him out, and, and he gets fucking murdered for it. Mm-mm. That's so sad. Like, this... All of them are sad, but, like, this poor fucking guy, man, literally, mm-hmm. had he just not wanted to say thank you, he wouldn't be dead, this yep. poor dude. Yeah. Like, just trying to, he thinks that Dennis is a good Samaritan already, because he helped him in the first place. you think in the moment, you don't go back. Nope. nope. Like, send him a card. Literally. Send him a thank you card. Do yep. not go back. You yep. have no fucking idea who people See, are. this is why you gotta be asshole. Exactly. This is why you gotta be asshole to people. You gotta be an asshole to stay alive, okay? Just be a dickhead and you'll you'll be alive forever. Unless yeah. somebody kills you for being a dickhead. Then you should have It's a left. fine line. It's a fine Sorry, line. Sorry, buddy. You gotta find the happy medium between it. <laughs> um, in mid-1981, <laughs> Dennis's landlord actually decided to renovate 195 Melrose Avenue and asked Dennis to vacate the property. He's probably like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis was initially resistant to leave, but accepted an offer of £1,000 um, from the landlord to vacate the residence. He then moved into an attic apartment at 23D Cranley Gardens in the Muswell Hill District of North London on October 5th, 1981. The day before he vacated the property in Melrose, Dennis burned the dissected bodies of the last five victims he had killed at this address upon a third and final bonfire he constructed in the garden behind his apartment. Um, Moving to Cranley Gardens prevented Dennis from committing any murders for a little while because this apartment, again, was in the attic, so he no longer had the option of hiding bodies under the floorboard. 
Um, This hiatus lasted only until March of 1981 when Dennis would take his next victim, beginning his next murder spree at his new apartment in Cranley Gardens. Right. And that's where we're going to end part one. Because part two, we're going to talk about all those victims. (laughs) Great. And then obviously his arrest, the trial, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's part one of old, uh, old Denny Boy. Denny Boy. <laughs> Not Denny Boy. Uh, he was fucking wildin'. Like, Mans was, he was so fucked up. Like, he was just like, hmm, yeah, I'm gonna murder all these people. I know, and the fact that he was like, I saw myself in them, and da-da-da. he had, like, such a weird fucking Ugh. complex about these victims that he had. Like, Reading his writings about, like, I cut a lot of, like, real graphic shit out. You know, I like the graphic shit, I so know, please but, uh, insert that. I, oh, God. I, I want to know. I don't want to have any regrets like I did regrets. when I put in all the stuff that Albert Fish was Hey, I don't writing. regret it. It was nasty, but I don't <laughs> regret it. It was so bad. Yeah, it was, it was mainly just graphic shit about him, like, basically like fucking the bodies and stuff and like jerking off on them after he like killed Ooh, them I just got chills. and how he would like use the baby powder to cover up like the smell of them and how much he liked like touching their skin and how soft it was it was giving very much like buffalo bill from silence of the lambs Jesus Christ. i was like buffalo bills what or is it Buffalo Bob? Is it? I can't remember. Hold on. I need to... Have you ever seen Silence of the Lambs? No. Oh, shit. It's a good movie. <laughs> um, but basically, like, the killer in that movie, um, he kidnaps um, women, and he Q. keeps them in... Yeah, this is in Buffalo Bill. Um, he keeps them in, like, this fucking, like, dungeon pit he has in his basement. Mm-hmm. And he... Well, like, he kidnaps, like, plus-size women because he he wanted to make himself um, a lady skin suit. So he would, yeah, he would um, kidnap these women, these larger women. Oh, I'm sorry, I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about a fictional killer in this regard. Um, Buffalo Bill did not exist. But either way, I still don't give a fuck. Um, But he was actually, he was based on, partially based on, I think, Ed Gein. Who was a real person and did actually murder um, real people? But like, damn, nobody's safe. It could be anybody. It Murked. could literally be anybody. But yeah, you should watch Silence of the Lambs. It's a really good movie. I don't wanna. But <laughs> I don't. I don't want to watch people wear skin suits. I'm it, it's not super graphic because it's um it's a uh, it's a. Uh, um, a film about Han- Hannibal Lecter. Uh, so that's okay. the main premise of it is uh, because like a detective. Um, her name is Clarice Starling. She is trying to solve the murder case um, of Buffalo Bill kidnapping these women. And so she invests the help of Hannibal Lecter because, you know, yes, he's a murdering cannibal, but he's also like genius. Right. And so she um, invests his help in trying to find Buffalo Bill. And so the main focus is of like her and like Hannibal Lecter. Um, mm-hmm. and you get a couple, you get a couple of snippets of, though, I think the op- the opening of the movie, actually, fuck, I don't know if it's the opening, but there's a scene that I remember the first time I watched this movie, I, like, watched it on, like, it was, like, on TV, like, died I was watching it, so it was cut to shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I saw, like, the actual, like, fully, like, unedited, real, actual movie, I was like, what the fuck? Because there's a scene. What the fuck? There's a scene where, like, 
Buffalo Bill is in his house and he's like dancing in front of a mirror and he's like naked save for this like little like robe he's got on <laughs> and he's like putting makeup on in the mirror and he's like he like says to himself he's like do you want to fuck me? I would fuck me. And then there's like a long shot of him like totally naked and he's got his dick like tucked between his legs. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Oh my god. I was like, this was not in the movie. <laughs> Wait, hold Sorry, the fuck on. Pause, phone. pause. <laughs> hold the phone. I was not expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! No, that it actually is a very good movie. Actually, I really like Silence of the Lambs. It's probably one of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, hey guys, tell us if you've seen Silence of the Lambs. If not, go watch it. <laughs> Please don't let my descriptions of Buffalo Bill scare you away. From Emily has now traumatized me. <laughs> it's fine. It's a really good movie. It really is. <laughs> um, all right. Well, if y'all have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I'm. Stay posted for part two. Part tizzle. We'll try to get that out sooner rather than later. Probably like next week. Yeah, probably like next week. We're going to try to record on Saturdays now to get back on a regular schedule. Because I know we were doing really good for and a little we, while. Then and then got really life, hectic. And then life <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so we're trying to get back on a semi-regular um, like uploading basis. So... Um, yeah, keep an eye out for part two. Should only be dropping within the next week or so. Um, follow us on Instagram. We will be posting photos from this case as we post for all of our cases. It's at TSRH Podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, also TSRH Podcast. You can send us case requests or anything to TSRHpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're almost at 600 followers on the Instagram, so that's Ayo. exciting. How many do we have to get in order to be paid? I don't fucking know. Probably a couple thousand, I would assume. Can y'all follow the freaking So, thing? hey, rate us, rate us five stars on wherever you're listening to this and share it with your friends. Tell your friends about us. But that if really they helps. don't like murder and they don't like dark humor, please do not share it with them. And please do not leave re- <laughs> negative reviews because you will get yeah. made fun of. That makes us sad. No. <laughs> Autumn will just roast you on this <laughs> um anyways uh, thank you all so much for listening we appreciate you being here um please leave us a five-star review if you like this episode um let us know what you think about it dm dm us on instagram let's chat um let's chat let's chat but anyways we haven't done any of the suggested ones right no not yet i have a couple on my list maybe then maybe the next case i do after dennis will be one of the ones that we should do the first one yeah i will i'll i'll grab that one yeah you know what we'll do that one after we do part two of dennis so we'll, yeah. we'll get to that um, recommended case by mm-hmm. one of our listeners. So so sorry, we didn't forget about you. If you're yeah, listening I, still. I swear you're on my list. He, I think he still listens because he actually commented on the last post. Um, I see you. Appreciate you. <laughs> we'll get to your case, um, not next week, but the week after, after we finish Dennis. <laughs> Gotta wait just a little longer. Gotta wait just one more episode. We we'll, did not forget about swear you. Swear to God, we didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Autumn, you have anything else to say to the people? Absolutely. The fuck not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, friends. We will see you in the next one uh bye, bye.